0: like you again please to turn with me to John chapter 17. I hope you had an opportunity to read the passage of scripture at home because it's one of those passages of scripture that the more you read it, the more it just opens up to you and you see some real treasures within the scripture. It is known as Jesus' high priestly prayer that he prayed to his father But he also prayed for his immediate um, disciples and um, then for all those who would believe because of their testimony, which includes all of us. And so this is a very powerful passage, which again um, speaks about the way that God feels about us. And when you read this passage of scripture, you will see that. And... um, we see here that it is also a passage of Scripture that speaks directly into the context that we live today, the circumstances surrounding our lives. It also speaks into the coronavirus, COVID-19 context of many of the issues that arise from you say how, Go and read it and you'll very quickly see because we see here that Jesus addresses the whole subject of unity. He speaks about harmony between um, people who know him, the church, but also harmony um, as far as it lies within us with the world and he speaks about um, the testimony that the church needs to be to the world. A godly testimony reflecting who Jesus is and the love that the Father has for them. And so it's a very current message for all of us. Um, This passage would um, speak about division because the opposite of unity is division. And uh, it's so interesting that... um, When we talk about unity, it affects all of us on the most personal level, because there are times when we fall out with our parents, it doesn't matter how old they are, Uh, we fall out with our in-laws, and if you're not married, you fall out with a colleague at work, or maybe with a brother or a sister, Um, it's... Teenagers with their parents, uh, they can be division within the home there. And God speaks into that context, but he also speaks into the context of the church. And I love that, because you'll see that um, in Ephesians, it tells us that God has chosen that he should be revealed to the world through the church. There's other means, but his primary means. Is through the church, and the question that I need to ask us today is, how are we doing with that? That's a key question for the small group leaders, and their small groups this coming week because we discuss the message. How is the church doing in revealing the love of the Father to the world? Because this passage of Scripture says that they will know. That God loves them, that is the world, through the unity of the church, that's when they will know that God loves them, the world, as much as he loves Jesus. Isn't that incredible? God loves the world as much as he loves Jesus. Can you fathom that? You'd say, but I really don't have great feelings towards those who aren't Christians. Well, God has great feelings towards those who are not. He loves them so much that he gave his only son to them like he did with us. And he says, church, I want to use you to show them my love. And our desire here at Lyft is that we would stand up and we would be counted and say, Lord, you could trust us to show your love to a world that's confused, to a world that's broken, to a world who knows not where to go to. You can trust us. You can trust Jenny and I as a family. We want to be united as one so that those people who do not know you, when we get in touch with them, that they could see something of the love of the Father for them. We're having dinner with a couple who, as far as I know, do not know the Lord Jesus on Monday night, and I want Jenny and my relationship to reflect the Father's love for them. And so we just need to ask ourselves honestly the question, how are we doing with this? I mean, if we can't love each other, how can we love the world? We've got to start here. And it's so important and last week we just looked at um, how unity is actually possible. And so let's read John chapter 17 and we're going to read again verses 20 to 25. And you could see my opening remarks reflected within this passage of scripture. Verse 20 it says, my prayer is not For them alone, talking about the disciples, he says, "I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you." That's incredible unity, isn't it? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. That's the key of unity. I in them and you in me. Then the world will know that you sent me I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. What an incredible passage of scripture speaking directly to you and I today. So last week we looked at that unity is possible. Harmony between husband and wife, um, father and son, mother and daughter, um, believers in the church. Unity is possible through the power of Jesus' name. We saw that unity is possible through God's word, secondly. Thirdly, we see that. Unity is possible through sacrificing our own comforts for the comforts of others as Jesus did. Remember, our example is always Jesus. I just love for those who are not vaccinated, they would come to our mobile unit outside here and they would get the test. Why? Because they're sacrificing their comfort to be with us who vaccinated a number of months ago when we sacrificed our comfort. Isn't that the way it works? Oh, that's such a weak old man. <laughs> Isn't that the way it works? There are times us sacrifice for you, and there are times when you sacrifice for me. As a matter of fact, that is the key to a successful marriage. Yes, you've read in the word of God that the husband is to sacrifice his comfort 90% of the time and the wife 10% of hers. Amen? Uh, It's not in the word of God. But that is when unity becomes possible when we sacrifice our own comforts for others as Jesus did. Unity is possible, fourthly, because it is God's will. Jesus prayed for us and all future believers in verse 20. Now my friends, if something is God's will, then it is something that he wills into action. That he has a plan to bring believers together in one. When it is God's will, God doesn't play with us. He doesn't uh, toil with us. He, he, you know, we, uh, we're not like a little toy that he plays with. When he says that unity is his will, then he has a way of bringing it about. And my friends, it is God's will that husband and wife should be together in unity, in heart, even if we think differently, We want to be together in heart. It is possible for you and I in the church, even though we are offensive to each other at times, that we step towards each other, we open up our hearts towards each other, and we become united and we walk in harmony. Why? Because it is God's will. God has made himself so vulnerable, hasn't he, that his will is determined by our actions here on earth. God has made himself vulnerable to us. He has uh, put himself on display, as it were. And I'm sure the devil is saying, God, that's your will for a united church. But look how divided the church is. Look how divided the world is. Look how divided marriages are. Look how divided families are. And he points a finger at God, and God has put his testimony in our hands when it comes to the subject of unity. Because the devil knows that if there is division, then the power that God has given to us is divided as well, and it doesn't operate on optimal levels. Unity is crucial for the gospel to go out and for the world to know. That God loves them as much as He loves Jesus. How far are you willing to go to walk in step with your brother and sister, with your husband and wife, children with your parents? How far are you willing to go to do that? That's the question. That's on all of our lips. But we first have to believe that unity is possible because it is God's will. Don't you love it when you come to someone with a problem and you say, you know, I just can't solve it. I don't know whether it can work. And the person says to you, it is possible, it can work. It is possible. Well, my friends, I believe that greater unity is possible. If we believe that it is actually God's will. Look at verses 20 to 21 in John chapter 17. My prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you. May they all be one in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Matthew chapter 6 verse 20 says, let your will be done on earth. As it is in heaven. God sees a united church. There is the church triumphant who is with Jesus now. Those who have passed on. And you have the church militant. It's the church here, you and I. What God sees in heaven, he wants to transpose here on earth. And then in Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, um, within the church at Philippi, you'll see that Paul writes to them and there are two people that are out of sync with each other. It is actually two ladies. And Philippians chapter four, verses two and three says, I plead with yodia and I plead with sanctity to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now he doesn't even just say same heart. He says same mind in the Lord. He's taking it a step further. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, Help these women since they have contended at my side in the course of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. God's will is for unity and sanctity to be of the same mind. Obviously, they had labored alongside of Paul, as the scripture says here, and they had fallen out with one another. They've, they've really started just, they see things differently and, and it's not going well. And he says, I plead with them. I plead. You know what he's saying? I'm begging them to be of the same mind. Unity is God's will. And if you break up unity, you are breaking God's will. Can I take it one step further? If you break up unity, you are sinning. And you need to ask for forgiveness. Is that pretty far gone? Uh, am I wrong? Some of you are not too sure about this. It's true, because this is where we live. This is what's happening. I think we take it way to lackadaisical, this whole thing of Unity. Unity is, uh, you know, it, it, this is where it kind of hits home to us whether we believe that unity is God's will or not. And of course, we know that it goes much further and we could address this later. But how far are you willing to go to be united? Now, uh, in our discussions, when do we sin? When we are not united. I know Paul says also, he says strive to be at peace with one another for as far as it lies with you. If someone doesn't want to be united with you, then there is nothing that you could do. But be very careful when you are the breaker up. You've got to make sure that you're in the Lord when that happens. And that's scary, isn't it? So unity is not always possible. I haven't always had unity with others. But I've had to find out whether my actions have caused it, and whether I could actually undo some of the things that I did. Remember, I walked in disunity with someone for years, and I got to a point where I said, I'm just gonna write this person a letter, and I'm gonna ask them for forgiveness. Whether they respond or not, I was going to take that step from my side. And, and it's amazing, the moment you pursue forgiveness, there is a freedom that comes. Reconciliation is when both people decide to work, walk together. And that's not always possible because it takes two people. But we've got to pursue it. And we have to answer the question, when does my disunity become sin? You will know as a believer. So we know that unity is God's will. We see examples in scripture where people were not united. And we've got to really ask the question why. We know that... uh, Paul and Barnabas fell out and they went their separate ways. They had a sharp disagreement, the Bible says. And even though they walked their separate ways, I wonder whether there wasn't a time when the two of them became one in heart again. Maybe not one in mind because they disagreed about taking someone with them on a mission trip. And we see that that happens. So it happens in all of our lives. But what I do want to caution us is... We need to make sure that if we know that we're going to sin in causing disunity, that we ask God to help us. Honestly, there are times when I believe something, you believe something else, and we just say, well, we can't walk together, but we can love each other and speak well of each other. Amen? That definitely is possible. And I don't think we sin when that happens. But, my friends, I think we need to make every effort, as Paul says to the church in Ephesus, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Every effort. When we don't make every effort, I think that's the brink upon which we step over to sin. And may God help us not only with that with one another, but in our marriages, in our friendships, And also with our children and also with our parents. So, unity is possible because it is God's will. Unity is only possible through Jesus being Lord in us and through us, fifthly. Is unity possible? It is only possible through Jesus being Lord in us. And through us, You see, when I walk this walk, I understand that whatever relationship I pursue, I need to submit to Jesus in that relationship. My relationship with Jenny has lasted for almost 28 years in November. Not because I'm an easy person to live with, and Jenny is. It is because my relationship with Jenny is channeled through Jesus because he's my Lord. So I bow my knee before Jesus because he's my Lord. And as I do that, where Jenny and I disagree, where we start to irritate one another, I treat Jenny like a queen. And as God's daughter, not because I'm a good person. It is because I'm submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's a good place to say amen to. That's very, very important. Unity is possible through the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I think so much disunity happens because Jesus is not Lord of our lives in that period of time. Lordship of Jesus Christ is less a theological discussion than it is actually a practical one. When we want to do our own thing, our own way, and we're willing to hurt people without really thinking about it, then we are no longer under the lordship of Jesus Christ because we step out and we become our own lord. How many times over this last week have you just done what you wanted to do? It's symbolic of us not being submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's a sign of being a Christian when we say, Lord, even though I don't want to do it, I know it's right, so I'm going to bow the knee, I'm going to submit to you, and I'm going to do what is right. That is a fruit of being saved. If we can't do it, sometimes Paul says to the church, you need to find out whether you're in the faith. Examine yourself. If there's no sign of lordship within your life, we have to question our salvation and the authenticity of our experience with God. If I always want my own way with Jenny and I try and get my own way, there is something wrong with my heart, and I need to evaluate it. Romans. Let's have a look here. Unity is possible through Jesus being Lord in us and through us. John chapter 17 verse 23 says this. I and them, and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. I and them and you and me. Jesus was one hundred percent God, but He was willing to submit Himself to the will of His Father to come to Earth and to spend thirty-three years here. My friends, that is an incredible sign of submission. That God was submitting to God. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? That's optimal submission. And that Jesus actually, he says, I and you and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. It is through the lordship of Jesus that we are able to walk with one eye. Acts chapter four, verse 32 says, all the believers were one in heart and mind. My friends, it is possible when Jesus is Lord over our lives personally. Romans chapter 14, verses eight and nine says, if we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord for this very reason. Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. That's 100% lordship. Who rules your life? Do you ask Jesus to guide you in your daily decisions, in your habits, and the way that you treat each other? So unity is possible through the Lord Jesus Christ when we personally make Jesus Lord of our lives. Not only in the beginning when we get saved, but daily and to say, Lord, I want to bow the knee before your Lordship today. Make it so practical. And you'll see your marriage will improve, your relationships will improve, Will um, will be restored. It's amazing when Jesus is practically Lord of our lives. But then there is another way in which we can actually assess the lordship of Jesus within our lives: lordship of Jesus Christ is often displayed in the church through leadership. What do I mean that? God has placed leadership within the church. We've got elders in the church and we have leaders, another term for it it is deacons and Our small group leaders lead the small group. They've got authority over the small groups. And in different departments, Craig has authority over the worship team here. So God puts elders in place, Ken and I, together with our wives. And then God puts, um, uh, we put deacons in place that operate under delegated authority within the church. And lordship works this way. If you are a part of a church, the leadership will make decisions that are popular and that's unpopular. But if the leadership makes decisions that's consistent with the Word of God, if you are a part of this household, there is a submission from your side to the leadership that is within the church. That is also a sign of how much Jesus is Lord of your life. Amen? Are you able to submit to leadership within the church? And I say godly leadership. Leadership that live their lives amongst you. Leadership that follows Jesus Christ. If leadership asks you to do anything that is contrary to the word of God, don't follow them. Amen? But if they ask you to follow them when things are consistent with the word of God, what is your heart's attitude? You see, submission is first an attitude before it becomes an action. If you just say, well, I submit in my heart, well, it needs to be shown in your action as well. Before I bring people on the leadership team, and I've I've, I've, I've led leadership teams for many, many years in churches, I first want to see how people react first when they have a disagreement with me. It actually tests their hearts. Test my heart whether I can walk with them. So we need to first have a little bit of a fallout to find out how we do together. That is what submission, what is submission? It is when you do something that you don't wanna do, amen. Otherwise, it's not submission. Submission is actually, man, I don't like it. I don't even agree with him. But because God has placed him in a position, he's not violating the word, or I would do it differently, but I'm gonna follow him in this. My friends, that's submission. We don't talk enough about that in the church because we're afraid we're going to lose everyone. <laughs> it's true. But God has placed leadership in place within churches so that there can be godly order. Without leadership, there is chaos. Leadership will take people to places where they wouldn't go to on their own. That's the responsibility of leaders. You say, show it to me in the word of God. I'm so glad that you asked me that question. Let's go and let's have a look. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 5 says this. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering who also will share in the glory to be revealed. And he speaks to elders who are pastors, you don't have pastors and elders. You Elders are pastors and um, bishops. They're all put together in the word of God. So he says, to the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder. This is Peter speaking. And a witness of Christ's suffering who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Not because you must, because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over them. Not lording it over those entrusted to you. It's a trust, the congregation being entrusted to us, as honest. But being examples of the flock, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. That scripture we oftentimes quote out of context, don't we? God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. That's in the context of church community that it's written. And then Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says this. Have confidence in your leaders. And here's that dreaded word again. What is it? And submit to their authority. Because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Our gift to you is to be joyful elders and a joyful leadership, amen? Your gift to us is submission. That's the way it works. That's God's plan. Lordship is revealed in how you respond to that. Lordship is not just an individual thing within your life, it is how you respond in community, when we're together. I read something beautiful from someone this week, it says, the biblical term for peace is shalom. This rich word, which has no dynamic equivalent in English, has to do with the welfare health, and prosperity, both of the person and the community. It signifies a dynamic harmony of relationships between persons, relationships that ensure peace, rest, and fruitful cooperation. That is shalom peace. It is community. You can't run away and have peace. People run away. That's not true peace. You find peace within community. And then, the last point, under lordship. The lordship of Jesus is also shown through our submission to governmental authorities. Now, I've had sleepless nights over this point because I know all of you have different understandings of it and you're already going and you say, well, what if they ask me to do something ungodly? Well, let's just put it out there. If church leadership tells you to do something ungodly, what do you do? You don't do it. Amen? If the government asks you to do something ungodly, what do you do? You don't do it. That's very, very clear. But do you know what? Living in Switzerland, we're very, very blessed to have a government like this. And there's no amens in it. We're very, very blessed. Do you want to come and live in the country that I live? In South Africa? Do you? Some of you are saying no. We've experienced some Abuse of authority. Some of you come from countries where authority has been abused, and I understand that. That's why it makes it so difficult to speak on it, because when we speak what Scripture says, that governmental authority are actually the servants of God, your experience does not attest to that fact. Am I right? And that's why I'm so cautious to speak on that subject, but we do need to speak on it. Some of us are behaving like the government, is a personification of the devil. Well, God's word just doesn't agree with that. You know, as some of us are speaking about the government, we think that those guys who are making decisions there have red horns. And underneath their jackets or dresses, their wings are black. We've demonized. Those who are making decisions, and that's wrong. No wonder the world cannot see that God loves them as much as Jesus. Hugely controversial, not really. Not really when you read the Word of God. So, what does the Word of God say about government? Firstly, our attitude towards the 1st Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 5 says, I urge then, first of all, That petitions, prayers, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people. For kings and all those in authority. Why? That we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. Wow, is it? This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Jesus Christ. If you complain about the government 10 times a day, you should be praying for them 20 times a day. Amen? That's the attitude. Scripture gives us an attitude towards the government. It was so cool on Tuesday night. We got together at our prayer meeting and we prayed for government and our governments. And I just love the way the people prayed with respect and honor towards the government. It's for our benefit that we pray for them. How often have you prayed for your leaders? And how often do we criticize them? It reveals something about the lordship of Jesus Christ. And I, I think sometimes it is the ultimate test of our lordship to Jesus in the way that we respond to leaders. You say, give me another scripture here about my action. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 5. Let some people only in Zook be subject to government authorities. Let only South Africans who live in Zook be subject to governmental authorities. Let only Swiss people living in Switzerland be subject to governing. No, it says let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God established. The authorities that exist have been what? Established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from the fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is what? God's servant for? Can someone say that? For good. Gee, it's coming out of your mouths very slowly today. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, angels, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. Wow! Did you know that that was in the word of God? Absolutely, yes. Now, I don't like some of the bills that are being passed in Switzerland right now. Some of it is democratically implemented by the people and by the people's will. I don't like it. But the government is there and my lordship with Jesus Christ helps me to act with respect towards them even though I disagree with them. And I believe that God has put them into place for a reason and a reason that he only knows. Amen? It is so important that, that we reflect that type of lordship within our lives. And it will deal with so much disunity within churches and within the country. Switzerland at the moment is so divided. And in the world, it is, Holland is so divided, Germany so many places because we don't understand the word of God. When we understand the word of God, we will walk in respect, we will walk in submission, whilst being submitted to the Lord Jesus. My friends, do you think that Jesus will let you down? No, at the end of the day, he'll scale the books. It is so important that we submit out of reverence for God. One last scripture, John chapter 19 verse 10 says this, Jesus speaking to Pilate, do you realize, he says, I have the power either to free you or to crucify you, Pilate speaking to Jesus, Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Wow. Wow. If you had any doubt up to this point, would this scripture settle it? My confidence is in my God who is sovereign. And if he allows me to go through inconveniences on the one hand, difficulties on the other hand, I believe that my God at the end of the day will balance the books. It may not be here, but it may be one day when I stand before him. Friends, unity has everything to do with the Lordship of Jesus Christ within our lives.